Westworld Theorycast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com right now and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. Cufflinks.com is the men's accessory marketplace. We all know that Cufflinks.com has Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek, Mandalorian, Disney, every amazing geeky thing. They have products that match your desires, as well as having the classic wearable art brands like Ox and Bull, Hook and Albert, and of course, Cufflinks' own brand, Cufflinks, baby. We all know that there's a coronavirus going around, and we want everyone to be safe and happy, and a lot of things have been canceled, okay? And a lot of sales that Cufflinks had have been canceled too, NCAA, things like that, but They have now put over 700 items on their sale page to get a great discount while people are planning that next outing with their friends. When this all clears up and you go out, you're still going to have to look good. So head over to cufflinks.com today. We wish you and your family well. Have a great day. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Westworld Theorycast. My name, of course, is Axel, and my co-host today, and it's so wonderful to be here with him again, is Ken. How you doing, Ken? I am doing really good. Excited once again to be here with you talking about Westworld, a show that we both love. Yes, definitely. And today we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 3, of course, Episode 5, entitled Genre. We, yes. of course, yeah, genre, babe. Did you take your genre before we started recording? <laughs> Yes, I did. And um, our genre would be uh, road trip buddy movie. There you go. I like it. I like it. With a little bit of romance thrown in, Ken. Come on. A little bit. A little little bit bit simmering. Just like under the surface. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll it'll come to fruition. Dolores can help us. (laughs) We'll be a thruple. Um, That's right. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about that. And we do talk about it three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I do want to give a big shout out because Gina, Tim, and Andy started this season having never done podcasts before. I mean, Gina and Tim had done some Winterfell, but never really got together. And they've just been killing it. I've been having so much fun listening to their show. It's funny, smart. Gina's doing a fantastic job hosting it. And for the next two weeks, actually, I'm not going to be on the Wednesday show Justin Thomas, and I will include a link to his YouTube channel in our show notes, is going to take over for me because tomorrow I start recording Listen to Your Heart, the new Bachelor spinoff with Sarah. We're coming back to do The Bachelor, so I had to kind of take a couple weeks off Westworld while I'm still finishing Better Call Saul with the Shea, so a lot going on. But today is Westworld, baby, and you can find out more about all that stuff at DVRpodcast.com. And I do want to say, before we go, thank you to the patrons. You know, we do have a Patreon, and I want to shout out Andy, Ben, Bill, Brett, Derek, Elena, Aaron, Gina, Heath Santazo, James, Grandpa James, Jeff, Jenny, John, Joe, Kellum, Kim, Max, Peter, Pizza Eaters, Bob, Scott, Tay, Tariq. Vernon. Oh my God. Such a long list of people. Thanks to each and every one of them. They're the ones keeping the lights on. 
being patrons, longtime listeners. And if you want to become a patron, you can go on over to patreon.com slash DVR and you can get ad-free podcasts, tons of exclusives. I'm going to drop a film list from Heath pretty soon. Uh, just a lot of great stuff. And also only three days left in Keith's Kickstarter. You're going to hear an ad for that. And there'll be a link in the show notes. He's trying to make a movie and he's going to do it. I think they only have like a thousand bucks. Uh, the whole network and myself gave some money over to Heath. So check that out too. And now back to Westworld. All right. Well, before we started, we were talking about that. This was kind of a divisive episode. What have you heard so far, Ken? You know, just really Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not like in the um, Twitterverse or, you know, social media verse. Um, I don't have a big footprint, so I probably don't know the extent of it. And to a certain degree, I guess I'm glad I don't know the extent of it because I really – I mean, part of my enjoyment of really anything is that it's a personal experience and I like to – you know, have my experience with either a TV show or a book. And I don't like that muddied by hearing too much about like what other people think about it. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is I'm doing a podcast with you about this television show that I love. So that's the other thing I don't ever really want to muddy too much before you and I sit down and have our take on it, uh, quote unquote. So, um, so, yeah, so I've heard mainly from Rotten Tomatoes that it was, I think it only got a 68% um, or 68 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a relatively low score. It's like kind of like it, it, it would be a C minus D plus score. Mm. Um, and I guess people have either really loved the episode or really did not love the episode slash hated the episode. Um so I guess it was divisive in that sense. I, I would suspect people are talking about it. Um, and, you know, people are allowed to have – I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, um, Axel, especially with Game of Thrones, especially the last season of Game of Thrones. So you and I have been down this road where, you know, certain things – people have strong opinions about certain things. And you and I have, have always said – and correct me if I'm wrong, like people are allowed to feel the way they feel about things. Like they like it, they don't like it. Um, all we can do or all I can do is tell you what I think about something. Um, and then, you know, you can either take that or leave that, right? Yeah. No, I agree. And, and, I, and I think that this season I can see it's been different and I've been kind of surprised that you know, certain episodes, people were, this was the best episode ever. I said, okay, I really enjoyed it. So I think that when something is new and different, you kind of get more of that um, initial emotional reaction. And then as things settle down, and even when it, you know, in today's society, that can be in a matter of hours, you know, <laughs> like right, you go through right. a whole news cycle in 10 minutes. I, what I'm beginning to feel about this season is that even the other seasons were great when you binge them. I think this season is really going to benefit from binging it because it's really such a straight story of what's happening with Dolores and these little heists and it's moving and there's action. So I can, I can see where people are coming from with this episode. I personally enjoyed it. But I did have some issues 
particularly with like the car chase and yeah. some of the plotting along that those lines. And that was actually like 15 minutes long. That was a huge big scene that was primarily what we learned from that scene was had through action, not these big info dumps. And yeah. that's a little bit different for Westworld. So I think that I can see where people are coming from. But I think that this episode may be one of those quote unquote bridge episodes, even though it has a great thing and Dolores sends out all the files and that's really kind of what we've been waiting for here. I still think that in many ways, this is kind of bringing the story along and I can see why people said it because I think also the genre thing, which it was called genre. Yeah, I don't know whether that was particularly integrated into the overall narrative as yeah. intelligently and as um, cool as they've done in the past. Yes, I agree with you. I kept thinking that there was going to be this huge payoff yeah. to the genre yeah, thing. Yep. Um, or that the individual phases of the genre thing would either give us a peek into him, to Caleb, or it would give us this cool platform to learn something about Dolores or learn something about the world or um, – and really, none of that happened except for like you got to hear some cool songs. You, I mean, the <laughs> the visuals were really interesting, especially with the um, the film noir, the the part one of the genre, which was film noir. Um, the, how the color was saturated and it looked black and white, and um, so that was interesting. It was funny with the. Um, the theme from love song when he was looking at Dolores and, you know, it was so kind of like a romantic comedy, I guess, or, or romance. Um, but you're right. I kept thinking that, um, that something was going to, like, the, like there was going to be a payoff and really, I mean, we'll talk about this cause it, it happened right at the end of the episode, but really all we got is like a jumbled, another set of jumbled images yeah. from his life, which we had already scored sort of seeing jumbled images from his life via his flashbacks. So, um, so really it kind of amounted to nothing other than like visual flair. Yeah, it, you're right. And even that visual flair, they they pushed it heavily by starting off with the film noir. And at a certain point, it even looked like they added a little bit of film grain quickly to it. Um, and at the other, so I guess what they did is film noir, romance, like techno club thriller type of thing when they were in the subway or something. I'm not quite sure what exactly um that genre would be uh yeah. maybe like tripping or techno or something um the action one when like the ride of the valkyrie is playing yeah. dun, dun, dun. and then we end on the beach there with the music from the shining yeah and it's like a horror and there's like a businessman looking out at the water like he's gonna kill himself <laughs> right but yeah, I don't yeah. I feel like as it progressed, they gave us the film noir texture. The action yeah. one had the music. The romance one had a little bit of a kind of 
um, beauty, flare, and like gloss that was added texture to the lens, right? Yeah. And the techno one, a little bit of light, but not much for the, they kind of, it kind of faded. You know what I mean? It was like, it was really strong and it didn't, like you were saying, I thought that there would be a discovery that was made because he took the drug or it was connected more to the themes of these people are in their loops and they're, they're living a genre. What genre has Rehoboam selected for them? Right. You know, when it seemed like it, it seemed like horror was everybody's right. Like (laughs) no one had a good story. No one was looking at their phone and it's like, you're going to win the lottery tomorrow. No, it was like, you're going to have Alzheimer's. Your kid's going to die and commit suicide. You're blah. You know, like, or people fighting, like nobody was finding anything out good. So I'm not sure that worked and they didn't go all out. Like I was saying with, with the film aspect of it, even with the film noir, they could have struck some really like good mood lighting with it or close-ups of Dolores, but it was just a little bit of uh, I don't know, kind of like, I felt like it was a, a lost opportunity yeah. to tie it in to what we're seeing when really it just made it more fun. Right. And especially since every other character was ignoring his trip. Great point. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Like, I mean, Dolores could, it seemed like she couldn't care less that he was on a drug and, <laughs> and like, she wasn't, she wasn't like, um, she wasn't anything. She wasn't annoyed. She wasn't concerned. She wasn't like, she just didn't seem to acknowledge even that he was on a trip. Like if it were me, I'd be like, is he going to frack up our plan? Do I need to worry about him? Do I need to keep an eye on him? Like I'd have all these thoughts running through my head and it would affect my decisions based on, you know, do I do this to escape or do I do this to escape? Or, you know, based on the fact that I'm now running with a, a man who's tripping on a drug. Um, so she, like everybody, and even Liam was both Liam and Dolores were sort of ignoring the fact that he was on a drug, <laughs> that he was on drugs. Um, so, and I don't remember Ash or Giggles acknowledging it. I mean, except for like, I think Giggles was like, Oh, I know what you're on. You're on genre. Yeah. Um, but like neither one of them were like so i i guess by their reactions i was sort of i mean i walked away thinking i guess genre's not a big deal like it's not like um it's not like say ass like if you drop acid in our world like sometimes that can be a big deal depending on yeah, you know yeah depending on how it goes like you could have a good trip or you could have a bad trip yeah um, and him too and just to to buoy your point Perhaps that's because it didn't seem as if the drug was affecting the way he acted. He was a little out of it, but it wasn't like when the romance kicked in, he kind of looked over at Dolores, but it wasn't like he dropped the gun and tried to make out with her. You know what I mean? Like he, you're right. So it was not like acid um, or mushrooms or whatever, where it would affect your, it's so mood altering that it would affect the way you interact with other people. He basically kept on doing his job. He did a pretty good job. 
He did. And like I would, I, and it kind of, it heightened the tension for me as a viewer a little bit, particularly during the, the, um, the action movie sequence during the ride of the Valkyries or the action genre part of it, where they're in the heart of the car chase and he's being asked to do all these really complicated, what seems like complicated action things. And it seemed like he was being asked to use, um, uh, guns that maybe he'd never used before or hadn't used in a long time. So because he was on drugs, I felt personally felt like added tension. Like, is he going to, is he going to screw this up? Yes, me too. Yeah. Like, is he going to shoot it into their car by accident or right, right. do something like that? And that didn't occur either. So yeah, I can see where people's points are coming from that, um, I guess they expect Westworld and expect because of previous experiences and even in this season that they're able to kind of tie it in just as they really did tie in so expertly the Maeve simulation really had a lot to do with the whole other story that was going on and the overall themes and narrative that we're watching. Whereas this was, like I said, a little bit of a lost opportunity to explore this in a way and if you're just going to have fun with it, then they should have had more fun with it. Right. I feel like if there's a criticism for this episode, which of course they're always, I mean, there's always fair criticism of everything, right? Cause nothing's perfect. So I guess for me, a fair criticism of this episode is what you just said, that they seem to be, go out of their way to walk down the middle. Um, and maybe to the detriment of the episode, um, instead of going fully one way or fully another, they kind of just walked right down the middle. Yeah. True that. True that. But I'll tell you what I really did enjoy. I really enjoyed how we got to learn so much about Sorak and how they returned to the story of his brother. And we got to see this whole kind of the episodes really split into two parts, which are like Sorak and his files, which are actually which from a cool trick in editing is actually Dolores watching all of those files as she's progressing. Um, And that actually doesn't start linearly until later. And, but we start to see it early in the episode because you see the interstitial like accessing and all that. And then we get to also find out Ciroc's story through his brother and Dempsey and then the whole heist slash um, releasing of the files that goes on. So it's really kind of evenly split between those two parts. And I have to say that I really had absolutely no issue with any of the Ciroc stuff, the story with his brother. I thought this was super cool. I love the way they jumped back and forth. I think the casting was great for the young Ciroc. Oh my God. The visuals were incredible. So much of it tied. There were so many little images that tied into stuff. We've seen a Westworld before the holding the hand over the grain as they walk. Right. Yeah. Um, Just like how their Rehoboam room looked a lot like the central room in Westworld. A lot of similar stuff. I thought this part was super cool. Yeah, and I thought the parts between which we'll talk to, I'm sure we'll talk about later with Bernard and um, 
and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, yeah, Martin. Like all of those scenes were really interesting. Um, and especially the linchpin of where Martin ends up, then it was super interesting. Like it makes me want to go back and watch those scenes again now that I know where it ends for him. Um, so, um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I guess the only thing that didn't work for me is the genre stuff, which is what the episode was named after. And I completely 100% agree with you. Had they had more fun with it or made it more substantive, then that wouldn't have been an issue for me either. Yep. But either way, let's start chatting about, um, let you want to kind of talk through the Ciroc timeline yeah. and then yeah, we can go through the Dolores part. Yeah. Let's um, go. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, because you mentioned it a few moments ago, I actually had to jump online in the middle of the episode just to see if young Ciroc's last name was Cassell, because I was convinced that he was like his son or grandson or something, because <laughs> he looked so much like him. I was like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, they did. They, they they really did a great job. And the brother, too, like aging them up. I'm, I'm yeah. really glad that they – dispensed with the de-aging like they did for Anthony Hopkins a little bit in the uh, first season, which I thought was not, I would have rather they just, I'm always in favor of them casting a younger person. Yeah. I just think you get a better performance and you just, you don't have to spend, it doesn't take you out of it at all. So this was, I thought, yeah, he was great. Yeah. Um, um, no, go ahead. I'll let you start the discussion oh, okay. about this. Cool. This uh, rock stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say um, it is, it is, you know, we should note that most of this story is Sorak on his plane, which I thought was super cool too, and added a real, you know, the Nolans really know how to give you that feeling that something like there's no more way of saying something's like international than he's just in the air somewhere. You know, you don't know where he is. <laughs> He's like, he controls the skies. He's the eye in the sky. It gave yeah. just a really kind of present feeling that all this stuff was taking place on the ground and he was kind of flying above it. And yeah. I, re I really enjoyed that. And it kind of starts out with him talking like he's speaking directly to Ray Haboam, the program. Yeah. And I wonder, um, do you think that at a certain point this this too will like have a voice or does it speak back to him? Because I just on my rewatch when I was taking notes, I I, I was like, this is weird the way he keeps on like it's not like he's talking to Dolores who's reading the files. It's like when he made the files, they were to introduce Rehoboam to himself. Yeah. Because he's like, you're not going to be able to find anything about me online. So I'm going to tell you what you need to know about me. And I think that's an interesting point too, is that as I watched these things, I remembered that he is an unreliable narrator. So the story that he's telling here is the story that he wants Rehoboam to know. That's super fascinating. Like my mind is a little bit blown. That's a great point. Something that I hadn't 
deeply considered until you just said that. And now I'm like, my mind is reeling. So thank you for that. I, I'm always thrilled by our conversations. Um, and then the other thing is it, um, the, the point I was thinking of when I was watching all of those scenes was about the ongoing theme of identity and putting a human identity on top of technology. Um, we saw that happen in Westworld over and over again. Arnold did it with Dolores. Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins did it with Maeve. Um, and it seemed like Ciroc was putting some sort of human identity onto Rehoboam. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it says a lot about the characters, the three specific characters that I just mentioned, but it also says something about humanity itself, like how we interact with technology and how we treat it like it's a person like, have you ever been like mad at like your car or mad at like your microwave <laughs> or, and it's like, you're mad at a friend yeah. and, and it's like, we're putting human faces on technology every day. And so are these characters. And so this show is sort of putting a spotlight on that human quirk that, um, that we all seem to have. So that's what I was thinking about, like how he wants, how, once again, someone is putting a human face on technology. Totally. You know, there's a great Lemonhead song called Stove. And it's about um, <laughs> Evan Dando writes about putting his stove out on the his old stove out to be picked up for garbage. And he's like sad that the, the old stove is there and he's thinking about the things he made on it. And then he gets a new stove. But then he's like, I miss my stove. It's outside, you know, and it just it's really a song about human emotion and exactly what you're saying about how we project ourselves. And it's even to create a comfort level. Right. And right. I think that that's an interesting point. Yeah, that maybe we won't hear like I, I don't know if we're ever going to hear like Rehoboam say like, hello, Dolores, or some th some avatar will act as Rehoboam similar to how um how what we got in the forge right right so i wonder if we'll see that but you're right too is he's he's talking to it like it's a like it's a a thing he's not like computer blah blah he's like speaking it out and the story he tells we get to see the amazing shot over the hill of this nuclear attack. And I wonder what he and his brother were doing. Cause there's like a dead animal or something on the ground. Yeah. yeah. And his brother's lip is bleeding a little bit. So I wonder if there was some, they were hunting or they were fighting or something was happening. It was just a weird primeval, almost like biblical kind of image. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it was very haunting. Absolutely. Um, and those are great questions. Like, what were they doing? Now? I mean, he seemed to indicate that everyone in, else in his family died in Paris that yep. day and that it was just him and his brother left. Yep. Um, so what, what were they doing so far outside of the city? What, what were they doing by, I, I believe it was a dead cow, which wouldn't mean that's, that's another dead cow that we've seen because the first time we saw, um, the first time we saw, uh, um, uh, 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 what's it, um, uh, Bernard, Bernard this season, yeah. he was by a dead cow. That's so, true. 
there seems to be a theme with dead cows, but um, uh, so what, those are great questions. Like what, and then I want to circle back to your original point was about him being an unreliable narrator. Like, can we even believe this story or did, or is the truth that it happened a completely different way? Yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, but as we go on, the one thing he does say is that his, his older brother was like, he loved him so much. He was the sweetest guy, right? Yeah. And he would do anything for him. He says something to him. He was, he uses a word that is just like he was, he was soy generose or something like that. Right. Like he would do anything for anyone. Um, and he kept him alive, but then his brother takes a turn because <laughs> not, not such a nice guy. This is where, that's what I mean about the unreliable, like he loves him so much, but then right away he starts out with his brother. His brother was like, God is dead. Mankind is going to kill themselves. We've yeah. got to create a new God. We've yeah. got to we've got to get a new god. So I don't think Bro was exactly stable from the get go, you know. No. And and I think that's why I think about that image of the dead thing. And maybe it could have been like nuclear fallout because he says they had to take pills later, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's how he came up with the idea of changing someone, which is another interesting point. But I just thought it was weird the way the introduction is the brother's so great you know he's a wonderful guy he's a genius but his brother wants to kill dempsey his brother is not like he's quick to be kind of more cutthroat and i get the feeling that really like his brother was more ford like and in the beginning serac was more of the arnold wanting to help everyone and stop something like this from happening again. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the greatest things that we learned during the, the Ciroc um, episodes during, or chapters during this episode is the whole idea about uh, Rehoboam uh, identifying high risk individuals. And then Ciroc eventually says, and my brother was one of them. Yeah. Um, And so, but high risk, individual is a very like a lot of things could fit under that umbrella so like what does that actually mean like and i'm sure we're going to find out but it's just very provocative that rehoboam is singling out these people that it considers to be high risk individuals but what does that actually mean yeah that's a that that's the ultimate question right right that's the ultimate question is what makes an outlier yeah. And and it, it has and and it's not a question that's new to us because I I remember that there was this TV show about a bunch of people caught in a theme park and they kept on taking <laughs> out the ones who were waking up called the hosts and those are Maeve and Dolores and right so they they did a really great job of showing that mirror of yeah. what was going on in Westworld and what was happening in the outside world. And it was not dissimilar to what no. was going on here. No, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure that once the show is over and someone could sit down and watch all 
you know, 50, 60 hours or however many hours it ends up being in like a few sittings or just in, you know, binge it, then all of these episodes, like, like you just pointed out, will all seem a lot more interconnected than they do right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was a lot of this, we get a little bit of, so he's on the plane and yeah. then he lands the plane. He, and what I was trying to figure out is this scene here with the Brazilian president. Yeah. Is did that, that is like, he was on the plane. He lands the plane. He has the meeting with the Brazilian president. Then he gets back on the plane and keeps on taking care of his issue. That's correct. Right. I believe so. It seemed okay. like he was multitasking. Yeah. I was kind of like, wait, is this a flashback? Is yeah. this like a later flashback? But because that does seem like a lot, like he's taking care of Dolores and he's like, hey, while I'm here, let's stop by Brazil. I got to talk. to you know, like, Right. Exactly. While right. I'm losing control of my whole system, I got to talk to this guy. But I guess he does. And that's part. I think that was interesting because this scene is kind of cool because, of course, we get the idea through it that Sirach controls all these presidents and he's installing them and whoever will listen to him, right? And yeah. that this guy has become too greedy and he's taking resources. This is causing a separatist movement to flare up that he doesn't even notice. And Sirach's like, look, you either stop doing this, stop being greedy, run the country right, or I'm going to replace you with the guy with the mustache because this separatist group is going to cause too much chaos and it's going to cause more death and destruction. Yeah. Which I think that's kind of interesting. But what's also interesting is to think that is this like, this is like Sirach's job. It's not just Rehoboam that is doing this, but he's using that information and then he's going out and interfering with these different governments. Yes. Like he's making decisions based on the information and, and, and feedback that he's getting from Rehoboam. Um, and that is tainted. Like all of his actions are tainted with personal bias, history and personal complexity. Um, I mean, think what you want about Rehoboam and what Rehoboam is doing and the point of Rehoboam. But obviously, Sirach has a filter that he's looking through. Yeah, because it makes me think what it's what the feeling I started to get through this episode is, and especially for this scene, was why is this scene here? Is this trying to tell us that Sirach himself is an outlier? Like within the system, He's not just letting Rehoboam go about and make these little, you know, once because once the the whole operating system is up and running, he can just sit back because it's going to assign numbers and let people get job right. It's going to do its whole thing, but he on top of it is interfering with these huge governments right. and doing these other experiments as well. So I Good wonder. Point. Did Rehoboam tell him to do that stuff? Right? Is he yeah. doing it? It's that's where the kind of unreliable narrator thing. But there was a weird thing with the fly that was buzzing around. Did you notice yeah, that? I did. What was happening? And with it that? was it was almost like like the fly was there on purpose. Yeah. 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 And it reminded me of the fly from season one. Yeah. 
Definitely. I was trying to come trying to it reminded me of it, but I was trying to make the connection like what was the significance of it? Was it that, you know, the host didn't notice the fly, but this president did? Yeah. Um, something along that those lines, or was it was it trying to make a like um a mirror between that president and the host that Sirac could replace him with another guy whenever he wanted. Yeah, yeah. That, that was I mean I I did too and and it made it feel like one big world actually yeah. because because of the kind of the echo and the callback to season 1 it made it seem textured like it's all one big thing when when you see something that reminds you of something else. So yeah. So then we get back on the plane and this is when Sirach's guy gives him a cool little piece of data here that they've traced in um the outgoing encrypted data from the Yakuza facility to uh LA, Jakarta, San Francisco and Berlin. Um, so we know LA, I guess LA in San Francisco would be Dolores and Hale, right? Right. Yes. Jakarta is would be Bernard. May, hmm, maybe it would, maybe it would be where Bernard, I don't know who, who was in Jakarta. I guess that's Indonesia. Well, I guess Dolores had been there too. So it could have been Martin yeah. or they seem to be traveling around a lot. Right. True. But uh, so we've been to these other places, but I don't think we've been to Berlin. No. And remember, we, I mean, that coincides with the information we got from last week, which is that there's at least one module that we don't know about. And I I believe it is one module. It's not two. And I think I may have said two last week, but it, it really is just one that is unaccounted for as far as the narrative goes. So the fact that there's one module that's unaccounted for and the fact that they mentioned a city, which we haven't been to this season and no character has had dealings with Berlin or mentioned Berlin. So that what that says to me is that whoever or whatever is in the last module is in Berlin. Yeah, I think so. You're right. Because I don't think he's particularly, it doesn't mean that we have to find one person in each of these cities. It just means that they've had transmission to these cities. Right. So it could be Dolores was in San Francisco. Then she was in LA, right? That's fine. Right. But like you're saying, we've never even heard Berlin before. It's not been mentioned this season. So I definitely think that, that's something to keep in mind here. Where are they getting to go on the plane? Maybe they're going to Berlin. Yeah. Right? Maybe we're going to find something has been going on the whole time that we haven't been paying attention to. Or I have another idea. Maybe is is that where the facility where William is being held? Interesting. Maybe that's where he is, Berlin, right? Uh, I don't yeah, know. yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It could be interesting. Um, but he also finds out that they can't find Dempsey. The last time they saw him, he was at the ball and they show and he shows Sirach a picture of Dolores. Yeah. Um, so Sirach gets real angry. He gets angry a couple times this episode. He gets real angry and he says, Activate every asset we have. I want her caught. <laughs> I thought that was a good that was like a good stock like 
that was a genre kind of saying, right? Like they should have, yeah, you really. know, that could have done yeah. more of that. Like, <laughs> well, also it once again points out the limitations of Rehoboam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously Rehoboam isn't all knowing, all seeing because they did not know where Dolores and Liam were. They didn't know where Liam was. And, Obviously, Rehoboam was not helping them. Like, and and Dolores herself has a line where she's like, "We've got to keep moving. Like, if we keep moving, they won't be able to find, or it'll be more difficult for them to find us." So, um, and that was the other thing. That was a kind of a nifty parallel in this episode. Is kind of both of the of the factions were on the move the entire episode. Yeah, it was. That's I. Hey, look. I had some issues, but this was a fun watch and it, it keeps going. And like every episode this season and, and that, and, and like you're saying, it kind of moves quickly. Imagine if you could listen to a podcast where James Delos tells you why he bought Westworld. Well, James Delos isn't real, but Christopher Slough of Reddit, Brandon Hillcart of Bark and Cortland Allen of Indie Hackers are. And so is Code Story. Code Story is a podcast interviewing the tech visionaries about their journeys building products from nothing to something amazing. Code Story is a podcast interviewing the tech visionaries about their journeys. Like How I Built This with Guy Raz, this is the same type of podcast, but bend towards those in the tech world. In the show, host Noah Labhart digs into the critical details about what it takes to change an industry, how the tech visionary got started building their world-changing product, what sort of trade-offs they had to make in the beginning, and how they coped with them. Our tech leaders are not only brilliant builders, they're humans, and they have a human story to tell. Hey, I've listened to the podcast, and it's awesome. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're into tech. And if you want to hear the real human stories behind that tech, Code Story is the podcast for you. Subscribe to Code Story now on every major podcast platform. Code Story, the future is now. And with the next couple check-ins with Sorak, we build up little by little a story yeah. Which is basically they needed to find they had their computer, they needed to find the data. So they found Dempsey Sr., who had yeah. all this personal data before the privacy laws were enacted. This is like the third time they said this before the privacy laws. And I'm like, it's kind of funny because those privacy laws were not too successful. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. It's like before, after, does it really matter, buddy? Because guess what? You have everyone's personal data. And plus, everyone seems to be giving it up. Right. Right? Like they have the implants and everything. Um, So, of course, we see uh, eventually Dempsey getting cold feet. He's kind of bullying them. He wants... He says to them, I want stock market stuff. I want an Oracle. That's when Jean is his brother's name. Now, I don't know if it was mentioned, if he was mentioned by name in the show, but I think I picked it up either reading in an article or on the uh, closed captions. Um, But his name is Jean. Right. Um, And then Jean's like, we should just kill him. 
Yeah, and, right. Very matter of factly yes. and very directly. Like he didn't even hesitate. <laughs> and not that I disagree with him because, <laughs> because Liam senior was sort of a douchebag, yeah. but, but still. Yep. And great casting too, with this oh yeah. Liam senior guy, because they just, they went for a certain type of businessman guy, you know, like more of like the prickish kind of guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You could just see him like leading someone around his house and being like, this is my Van Gogh, you know, and my Picasso. Right. Um, A great casting, and the whole room looked super cool. And we get a shot of little Liam. Yes, we do. (laughs) And I was wondering why that was there too, because he really has this, this real look of wonder on his face, almost as if, I don't know, I felt like. They were kind of like communicating to us. He was a good little kid, you know, or maybe his obvious fascination with a technology that his father could care less about. Maybe Ciroc noted that and it played a part in where these flashbacks end up. Like, like maybe he, that was one of the contributing factors just to Ciroc thinking, I'm going to bump off. Okay. I am going to bump off um, Liam senior because it seems like Liam junior is more malleable. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Or maybe because he's fascinated by it. Right. 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 He'll be kind of wooed by what we can do. Unlike his father who just wants us to make money. That's a good point. That's a good point, Ken. But I thought it was interesting that they did a nice couple close-ups there of him. Um, And, uh, so Ciroc basically says, you know, um, uh, uh, what's it? Dempsey basically says, you know, I'm going to pull my funding unless you show me something. Yeah. And Ciroc says to us or to Rehoboam that the computer, that it was working, but there was something wrong with his brother and they hadn't yet been able to kind of like get it to work, I guess, the way they want it. It was kind of a weird line. But the next time we see him, they're giving Dempsey what he wants. They take five million bucks. They make a hundred million in a week. Yeah. And not only that, but they show him where they could put the market if they wanted to. So it's not only that they made a hundred million dollars, but they effectively change the entire stock market to go where they wanted it to go. And that's what really, I think kind of blows his mind. And I'm not sure they did a super great job of communicating that, but did you get that too? I did. And it, it, and it made um, his Liam senior's fascination with it. And obviously that much more obvious if that's if, if you picked up on that, because it wasn't just a matter of like, we turned $5 million into $100 million. The implications, the larger implications were the big deal. Yeah, it was. And that was, uh, that was kind of cool. I liked the way they did that. And of course, this is where you get um, Dempsey really happy. And he's like, oh, he's got that big face. Oh, the money, the money. Yeah. Um, but then he further explains that, they want to take it past the stock market and he and his brother want to set a course for all of humanity and they want to help that they, they had, he's, he uses the same line he said before, you know, like 
humanity had been chaotic, stumbling its way into the future. Now yeah. we set out a course, but then Dempsey became so greedy that they locked him out of the system. Yes. Um, so it has been quite a while. It had been before he killed him quite a while that he had had control of that system. And I guess in that time is, uh, is when little Liam grew up, right. Yeah. And yeah. got older. And then they, and then he, like you're saying, he was able to kind of groom him, which is interesting, kind of subtle, you know, they don't go into it, but like you're saying, by looking into it deeper, you can kind of see that. Um, yeah. But he also says that the big, the big problem was that they kept on trying. They, even though things were stable, whenever they projected into the future, it always fell apart. And the reason why it always fell apart was because of outliers and agitators driving the system out of control. And Sirach realizes that his brother is one of them. Yes. Yes. And, and then that kind of opens up the flashbacks to introduce the whole concept of re-education yeah. facilities, which look really, I mean, did you notice the parallels? Like the glass walls kind of look like the training rooms for Westworld. Yep. When Maeve would walk down the hallways and see like everyone around a table playing poker and um, like it, I mean, the similarity was striking the way they're trying to connect these two strands of technology, which obviously were happening concurrently with each other. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, it's very cool. And it is exactly like when the techs bring brought in Dolores or Maeve, right? Come back online and then adjust them. And so Dempsey gets to that weird hidden compound and that's when Sirach explains the outliers to him. And we see that his brother is there too. And these people, they're in these little boxes and some of them seem to be in some sort of agony or pain, but many of them are like very routinely making their beds and like yeah. cleaning their room. So, he also talks here is when he talks about how he was forced to take these radiation pills because his, his genome was mutated by the nuclear fallout. So he figured out, well, why can't we do this to the outliers? So they're basically kind of practicing, I guess, a brand of like eugenics, like not only, in, in the real world, they're doing it too with like certain people could have children, certain people can't, but then they want to kind of, I guess, modify the DNA or the minds. What do you think they're doing to these people? Well, I mean, besides the things that you listed, I mean, the possibilities are sort of endless and I mean, it, it it's kind of scary and it's um, obviously something it's obviously something horrifying or Ciroc wouldn't be keeping it under wraps the way he's keeping it under wraps. And he wouldn't have let that be the final nail in. I have to kill Liam senior unless it was something worth killing Liam senior over. Yeah. So, um, and then the other thought is like, where do like, did they kidnap these people Do their family and friends, 
think they're missing? Like, there's yeah. all sorts of questions. Like, where does their families think they are? Or were they just kidnapped off the street and, and their friends and family just think they're missing? Like, what's going on there, too? Like, like what does the world – where does the world think these people are? Yeah, because you're right. That's a good point is that it it has to be the whole world, these outliers, these agitators. It's not like, oh, no, they're all in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right. You know, like they're all right. over the world and there there could be like one here and then 100 miles away is another, right? So right, right. he has to go all over the world and find all these people, either bring them to this or many other facilities that he has located around the world. Now, yeah. it's possible, though, that because he's in control of Rehoboam and, their, and this whole rating system and everything, it could be that they're all assigned a they all – they're all lucky and they got a job in, you know, here or something, right? Yeah. And so they all just get shipped off and then they send fake letters to their families. I could imagine a scenario where he could cover it because yeah. of the means he has. Well, here's an interesting thing. I, as soon as I started, as soon as they started to show the facility, I thought about the scene, the scenes in Lost when they showed us the torture, mind, um, brainwashing yeah. room. And I thought, this isn't that. Okay. So then I was able to draw a fine line between those scenes in Lost and then what I was seeing last night in Westworld. And then it made me think, what I was seeing last night in Westworld seemed a lot more subtle. It seemed a lot more like conditioning, not torture. Yes. Um, and it seemed a lot more mental and emotional and psychological versus direct, like, mind control, mind um, brainwashing, like the sequences in Lost were. Um, because in Lost, they were actually attaching – like they were making you see like all of these images that were going really fast. Yeah, and it was the Ludvigo method from uh, Clockwork right. Orange. Absolutely. And they were making you like your eyes were forced to stay open. And like it was like classic torture brainwashing. Yeah. Um, this seemed much more – I don't want to say humane because it's obviously something really evil is going on there. But, um, but it seemed more subtle. Well, it could – that's why I think that. If we extrapolate out from what we've seen with the hosts and knowing what we know about even current um, uh, research into DNA splicing and also designer babies and stuff, I mean, I think he's genetically modifying these people. He's going into their brain and changing their DNA or changing their synapses similarly to what was being done to the hosts. Yeah. I, you know, I think that it could be, you're right. I don't, I don't get the feeling that, um, I, I get the feeling it's more antiseptic and scientific yeah. than it is, um, that they're in like a concentration camp type environment. Exactly. Even though it's, uh, you know, I mean, ethically it's very similar. It's a similar thing to be doing to someone, but he's just using the kind of, um, better for mankind way of doing it though the method that he used to kill uh dempsey senior was not i mean he just slams his head on that airplane. <laughs> he takes him i don't mean to jump but uh when they do leave there 
And there, that was a great shot. There's a lot of nice, speaking of him being in the plane, there was a lot of nice shots from above in the car chase that we're going to talk yeah. about too. Um, but yeah, I think that they're, they're like genetically modifying, they're playing with these people. He's reprogramming their minds, maybe on a cellular level. Yeah. Um, in the same way that the hosts were. And I mean, they can't do any more, but to draw these comparisons, I mean, I think they've done it so aptly that that they really were successful with that in this episode. Well, but then once again, you have to ask the question, at least in this universe, in this fictional version of Earth, what's the difference between a, a host and a human? Like if they can both be conditioned, if if they can both be modified, then then that's yet another example of like, what's the difference? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It, it's and, and, you know, someday we will... Uh, Someday we'll be locked in our houses, not because of uh, COVID-19, but because like the, the robots outside are malfunctioning, you know, how, how yeah. about when a virus spreads through the robots? It's like you said before, humans tend to project their humanity and emotion onto the things they create. That's like why we create in a sense, yeah. but then when that thing looks back at us and we see ourselves, we reject it and kill it. And this is what's happening. This is what we're seeing here too, because his own brother who effectively from this story, his brother was the genius. It, it kind of seems like his brother was the one who created Rehoboam, not him. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm getting that feeling that, even though his attitude was more like Arnold in this relationship, he was the guy who was talking to the money guy like Ford and yeah. the brother was the Arnold doing all the work. So I agree. Yeah. he eventually ends up putting him and changing him. But it made me think, Ken, first of all, we know from Ford that it's the outliers. It's the Ford saw, Maeve and Dolores, first he saw them as something that he had to crush, right? But then he understood that they were actually the purpose of the system. Yeah. yeah. And is that what Sirach needs to realize is that the outliers are not the ones who are disturbing the system. The outliers are the ones who make the system who create it, who make it alive. So it might have to explode to change and become something new, but that's a part of the cycle. He's seeking a cycle that is never ending control. Yeah. And that's not the way nature or anything works. You have a cycle of birth, death, rebirth, right? Yeah. And he's ignoring all of that in favor of this bland, uh, the, the song that this episode ends with, um, is called, uh, here hyper mediocrity. Yes. And yes. that's what he's kind of going after. Yes, absolutely. You know, Caleb is right later on when he, when he says to Dempsey, I'd rather ha live in a world of chaos than one controlled by you because it, he, so what Sorak is trying to do there is no end to it. Yes. You know, the outliers made the system, but he wants well, to kill them. Well, also it's like, 
you're never going to put out all the fires. It's a fool's errand. Like his idea of control is nice in intellectual theory, but in actual practicality, it's a fool's errand. Like it's never going, he's never going to, he's never going to get what he wants. Like, and, and, and half of the fun right now in watching his character is, is watching him wiggle around in that. Yeah. I think, I think that we're going to come to a point where the system finds him to be the outlier. Right. Yeah. Or he realizes or Dolores explains to him, the outliers are the system, homie. You can't, that's the yin and the yang here. You can't, t- if you take them out, you void the entire clockwork. And that the problem, that's why I want to go back and look at all these different things that have been happening when they showed the interstitials and like the disturbances. Yeah. Um, because I think that's a kind of trick they're playing with us. And we're going to find out that in effect, it was, you know, that it's all part of the same system. And Sirach had been creating them unbeknownst to himself. Like we were talking about before the way yeah. he was messing with things. So all in all, his philosophy is not going to work out. And also extremely stressful, as you said, extremely stressful. You can't, you can't fly to Brazil every week. No. <laughs> right. Like, and, right. And, and that stress level or that part of his personality gets us to the, the last part of his storyline last night, which I kind of want to ask you a question. We've seen two bursts of, of emotional temper. Like one is when he shot the guy, um, that, that they were holding captive, um, uh, two weeks ago. Um, and then last night he violently kills Liam senior. Um, and he, the rest of the time, doesn't he kind of seem cool as a cucumber? Yeah. Like in his linen suits and he seems very in control, casual. He speaks in like a metered tone. Um, like, especially when he's talking to Maeve, um, but that we've seen these flashes, which when it happened two weeks ago and he shot the guy in the head, it seemed like I was, um, shook by that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it seemed, I, I almost thought it seemed out of character, but now we've seen it again last night when he could have killed Liam senior in lots of ways. Like there are so many ways he could have killed that dude, but the fact that he chose to slam his head down violently down into a piece of metal, I guess it was multiple times, right? It wasn't just the once like, that's like, that's a really personal emotional way to kill someone. And it shows something about a possible instability, which either he may not be completely aware of, or he's aware of and doing his darndest to hide it. Yeah, you're, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Maybe Rehoboam already told him he was an outlier and he didn't accept it, or maybe that's why he hides himself from the system itself, right? And keeps right. himself separate from it because yes. um, he doesn't want it to know that that's inside of him. But yeah. it's it, it's great acting too because he turns it on and turns it off really quickly. And that was, that was kind of crazy, but it was also neat the way it was like all set up already, you know, like the planes already crashed in Bernie's like, it's my plane, you know? And like everyone at home is like, yeah, dummy. And you died in the plane crash. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) And I totally bought 
because of the casting mainly, because of how he looked, I totally bought that he was oblivious to the danger that he was walking into in that scene. He totally was. He was. Because if someone is walking with me uh, and they're showing me my crashed plane, I like all sorts of, like my spidey sense would go off. I'd be like, what, what is going on? Why, what, why are you doing this? Like, I'd be scared. I'd be mistrustful to say the least. Um, but he seemed oblivious until, until the end, until he was dead. Yeah. Until he was oblivious. Right. Um, literally. And we'll, let, let's pick up on really kind of the end of Martin when we get to the end of Dolores because they meet up in the airport there, air uh, hangar. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into Dolores and Caleb. Um, we meet okay. up with them yeah. and they are kind of in an underground tunnel. They're now all together. It's Dolores, Caleb, and Dempsey. And, um, Caleb is wondering, why don't we just kill him? Dolores says they need him for access. And yep. they kind of have a little bit of a Dolores and Caleb have a little altercations with Dempsey here. First, Dolores tells him to put on the glasses and look at her. He sees she's not in the system. And she has a very interesting line here, which I think is kind of talking about herself. She says, you become complacent, believing those, talking about the glasses, Rehoboam, the computer, let you understand everyone. Um, meaning, you know, the computer doesn't know everything about a person. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But then I feel like, Dolores, isn't that kind of what you're doing with Charlotte? You know? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Like, like no one is able to see beyond their own personal limitations, yeah. but they're but they're quick to point out other people's limitations. Yeah, so of course, she, right? She's like saying this stuff. I kept on thinking about that because I still think that's going to come back up. Um, and yeah, then Caleb for sure. makes. Then Caleb gets into an altercation, and he makes Dempsey wear the glasses, and he says, "Tell me what who I am, who I yeah. am, right." What, yeah. what do you, what do you, why, uh, you know, cause he's challenge challenging him about Caleb's like really still pissed off that, you know, they've controlled his whole life. And then Dempsey has like a really like strong reaction to Caleb. Yeah. Well, this was the most, this was the most pivotal thing in my personal opinion that happened last night was that revelation. Like, and it, in, in a way it was sort of underplayed, which I love. Um, but you're right. By the look on the actor who was playing Liam Jr.'s face and the, the, how he immediately reacts in that moment by trying to run away and inject him with the genre, yep. which sets off the whole point of the episode in some ways, um, it makes you wonder, it makes you seriously wonder, what did he see? Who is Caleb? Yeah. And like, there's, a, there's a bunch of this in this. He said, there's some stuff I wrote down. He says, you think I killed your friend? And then he says, who are you people? And like, he's scared of him. What do you say? You think I killed your friend? Well, and there's also, there's also an implication at the end of the Dolores Caleb stuff when he's seen all the flashes yes. like that maybe he killed his friend maybe mm. he was in a re-education center at one point and was modified yeah um so that wouldn't surprise me at this point um so 
but what did what did Liam see and who is Caleb? And 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 then the other question is, does Dolores know the answer to all of those questions already? Oh, you know she does. And she thinks she can use whoever yeah. Caleb is to her benefit. Now I ha I since we're talking about it, I gotta jump in. I I read this and I had thought this too. Um, do you have a do you have a, a modified? We had talked earlier about Caleb kind of being like, and I think we were kind of right there, Ken, about how he's like the Rehoboam version of Dolores and Maeve. Like they mm-hmm. changed him in some way, and now we're starting to see this. But there's another theory that's making the rounds, and I won't take credit for it. That Caleb is his brother, is Gene. Interesting. So, okay. Um, They either changed, either part of their program was to have them actually switch physical bodies to start a new kind of life or something like that. Or he, he took his brother's memories and stuck them into Caleb in some way to make him live or... I don't know. It's a. I'm not sure that I subscribe to this theory. Yeah. Um, because we never find out what happened to his brother. We see him at the facility, right? Right. And that right. wasn't too long ago that his right. father dis that um, Dempsey Senior disappeared. But I just wanted to throw that out there. If anyone, I'm sure maybe Brett on the Wednesday show might expand on that. But there might be a bigger theory there that I could figure out. But for now, I'll just throw it out there. In the immediate moment, like the um, emotional and logistical implications of like, what did, what did Liam see? What does Dolores know? And why can't Caleb seem to put it together himself? Yeah. Like, like why I, he should be asking more questions about his limited, um, um, ability to recognize his own life. Like there seems to be like blind spots that he should probably be asking more questions about, but he isn't, which is probably part of the whole thing. But like, but why does he have those blind spots? And, and it's obviously part of the whole thing. Yeah, no, I agree. You're right. He's not, he's just kind of, that's the thing about Caleb. And we said this, I think last time we were talking about him is in the last episode or episode before is he's just kind of still following orders. Right? Like he's just kind of following Dolores now. Which in and of itself is an interesting character beat. Yeah. Because it's almost like he's willing to follow someone else so that he doesn't have to focus on himself. Yep. Definitely. And Dolores is knows that and is taking advantage of it, I believe. Um, so like you said, he doses him with the genre, and we talked about genre already. He starts with the film noir. Um, Dolores meets up with her motorcycle that is kind of cute and should have a name. I'm going to call it Moto. Um, so Mo- <laughs> she meets up with Moto and yeah. who dies later, very sadly. And by the way, for no reason, Moto did not need to die. Um, no. And, and in fact, that was one of my, like, that was my plot pet peeve of yeah. last night's episode was like, that I is what you just said. Like why, like there are a million other ways that she could have done that. She didn't need to sacrifice <laughs> no. her horse slash bike nope. in order to like, and, and the end result wasn't that fantastic. Like she took out one car. 
yeah, this whole this is where we get into the whole chase, and they convince Liam to put his hand on the thing, and then we eventually end up meeting up with Marshawn Lynch and Lena Waite, who you know their name. What's their names again? It's Ash. Um, she plays Ash. He plays Giggles. Okay, I'm going to call them their right names. We meet up with Ash and Giggles, but this whole chase scene, I thought it was fun. The little weapon that go that you know she says just point and shoot, and then it finds its. She takes control. Why does she only have one of those? I don't yeah. understand. And then the whole motorcycle. It, it looked cool, but it was not as intelligently plotted as this show normally is. It was fun, but it wasn't. It didn't do much for me. And then I didn't even understand. This was weird too. They like pull the car is totally bulletproof, by the way. Great improvement on taxis. They're now all bulletproof, though. They sometimes, you know, they were, there's a little bit of, um, I never get upset about continuity, but like sometimes you saw the bullets on the bullet holes. Sometimes you didn't, you know? Um, but then they eventually meet up with giggles and the name I already forgot and they are, and they get out of the thing only to take a few steps with them, get back in something and then to get to the train. And I just didn't quite understand why they even needed to meet up with them. Really? Um, well, I, you know, I don't I, know. Well, the implication that I got was that Dolores was occupied. Uh, it seemed like she was multitasking too. And, I, the implication I got is that she jumped on um, Rico and hired them as bodyguards to help them escape. Okay, that, I think that makes sense. That yeah. the because she, she's constantly doing stuff and they're on the app, right? And she knows right. that he recognizes them and they worked yeah. together before. But I just thought the whole plotting was a little weird, though it was fun. Um, and at the same time, uh, finally I should say, you know, we talked about the whole thing, um, where they pick them up and then probably an interesting plot beat here is that Dolores gets shot. Caleb sees it. The bullet passes right through her. She just zits up her jacket and walks off and he's tripping out. So he doesn't, later on, he asks her, she says, we'll talk about that later. Well, That's indicative of this entire episode, which I didn't mind, but I could see how other people might mind it, which is that they planted a lot of seeds in last night's episode, but we didn't really get to see what those seeds are going to bloom into. Um, So we didn't get to see Caleb's actual reaction to realizing that Dolores is probably not human or there's something going on with her because she survived gunshots. Um, And there's lots of stuff with like, I mean, we got to see the immediate reaction to what Dolores does, which we're going to talk about in a second. But just to say that lots of seeds were planted last night and we didn't actually get to see anything come to fruition. Yeah. That's why I feel like, that's why I feel like in a, in a binge, this will seem like a really fun kind of joiner episode. We, we ended the first half of the season 
And then usually when you do this traditionally and in writing too, right, this is more of like an introduction to the feel and to the end game. So Absolutely. setting up a lot of stuff that's going to pay off later. And plus last week's episode was so full of revelation yes. and it was, and the pace was so dramatic and, and just intense. And there was one revelation after another and the way they staged the thing where like you they revealed that everyone was Dolores, um, was brilliant. So of course you're not going to follow up that episode with, you know, part dear of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like you're going to recalibrate after an episode like that. Yeah, I agree. And it was, and like I said, it was fun. And, and I, I'd actually, I liked the movement. I liked when they're going through that the music starts playing and they go through the subway and she holds up the her her device and they can walk right through. Yeah. Um and then Liam is kind of yelling at Dolores and saying, you know, hey, I gave you this access, but you can't do anything because first of all, it's read only. And second of all, you need to be at the console and you can't be two places at once. So she immediately <laughs> calls Martin, right? which I thought that was cute. Yeah, um, that was really cute. And we get to see, this is our first time we see Martin and Bernard. Uh, they're at Insight, uh, right at Rehoboam. Martin sends Dolores all this info on Ciroc and she's, that's when she first asked for it, even though we're seeing it earlier in the episode. But the cool thing is, is you can see they did a little CGI on her eyes. Yeah. And it was great. They're like the info's flashing in front of yeah. her like that. That was cool. It um, was very subtle, but it was great. Yeah. I liked it a lot. And again, a cool location. The locations are amazing there. Everything looked awesome. Yeah. Um, Martin kind of brings Bernard back online with the button. He's going to be a good boy and they go to the console. Um, and this is when Martin gives a nice little Ford ish slash Dolores. Cause it is Dolores speech about this is again, they talk a lot about God and the themes here of this is their God. He says it keeps them all on their loops yeah. Um, and then most interesting to me, cause a lot of what Martin said was stuff we've heard before, but it's good to thematically keep, you know, regurgitating that, keep us in line. But Bernard kind of questions him and he has a little talk and he's like, you know, living in it, living another life, worlds bleed. It's, it can be very confusing. He's trying to kind of talk him, you know, like yeah. kind of cute also cluing into stuff that happened with Hale. And then he says to Bernard says, have you ever, and I thought he was going to say, question your reality. Right. right? But he says, have right. you ever questioned what she is asking you to do? Yes. And Martin says, no, we all have our own roles. But yeah. I think like we said last week, this is going into really talking a little bit more about Hale and the experience she had. But I thought this was an interesting conversation. It was. And at one point, Martin says, you've always been of, of two minds. Yes. Bernard. Yes. And which is a great callback. Cause that made me think we don't know everything there is to know about Bernard yet. And not only do we not know what Dolores has done to him since recreating his body, we don't know everything about that either because at the very least there was a three month gap. 
So we don't know everything about that. But then it also made me think, do we know everything about the way Ford made him to begin with? Yeah. Like, like, are there still, rev- are there still revelations to come con- concerning how he was born, quote unquote, to begin with? Like, it made me think when Martin said that, like, is he like a Frankenstein's monster? Is is he like part Arnold, part Bernard? Like, like, and what does that mean if that's true? Like, it just made me think that we don't know everything. We really don't know everything about Bernard. Maybe part Ford too. I felt there was when, especially when Martin was talking and, and Bernard kind of talking back to, it reminded me of the Ford Arnold, the, the Ford Arnold conversations, Ford Bernard conversations. Yeah. And there have been, uh, some talk of maybe that fifth, um, Pearl being Ford or Ford still, you know, he put himself as a packet into Bernard, right? And yeah. then Bernard gave a packet to Maeve. Is Ford still in here somehow? Was Dolores able to take Ford out? Because we know that he was also in the system when he was in the cradle. Yeah. So yep. I, I just, I, I like what you're saying there. There's something else. They, they're, these conversations were really weird and they were a lot, they were about a lot more than just what was happening during those scenes. Well, there's also a reason why she's keeping him around. I mean, her, her line at the end of season two about him being, um, him being a buffer or him creating a balance. Like that's a nice line, but I don't even believe that she believes that like there's yeah. something else. There's another reason why she's keeping him around. He knows something or he's capable of something or he's, he was created for something that he doesn't even know yet, but she does. And that's why she's keeping him around. So there's all these questions like, like once again, what does Dolores know? At this point, like you, I sort of assume she knows everything. Yeah, yeah, I do, and I, I still, I became more convinced that her meeting with, with, uh, with Caleb was not an accident at all. That he is an important part of this story. Um, Absolutely. Taking a little break from this show to remind you again of our amazing presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. They've been with us for over a year. We're so proud to have them, so go out and support them. If you're a listener to any of our podcasts, take a moment right now, type in cufflinks.com slash DVR into that old web browser, and you will arrive, and you will be amazed, happy, surprised at the amazing products that cufflinks.com has. You might think to yourself, hey, I don't have an informal event coming up. You know, I'm not into cufflinks. But guess what? They have a lot more than that. Actually, I'm wearing a pair of Star Wars socks that they sent me. Cufflinks.com is where it's at. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Hey, everybody, I've got an exciting announcement. Our very own Heath Santazo, a.k.a. Heath Solo, who you know is a great actor, has been writing a screenplay and is now producing his first feature film, The Star City Murders. A team of detectives are tracking down a serial killer, but his methods are like nothing law enforcement has ever seen. 
It's a race against time before more victims are claimed. The Star City Murders. You can be a big part of this project and become a backer. Just go to cefilms.com for all the information on the film and how to donate, or go to kickstarter.com and search The Star City Murders. And also, if you look in the show notes or at dvrpodcast.com, all the links are there for you. There are many great rewards for donating, including a tier where you get an exclusive behind-the-scene podcast hosted by me, Axel Foley. That's right. Let's help get Solo make this movie, all right? Go out there and donate. $5, $10, whatever you can give. Let's make sure that Solo gets this done. And also, all the Patreon funds coming to DVR Podcast are going to this Kickstarter, because we believe in Solo, this is going to be an awesome movie, and we want to be a part of it. So head on over to CE Films today, the Star City Murders, baby. Let's find the killer. And we return to them. They're in the subway car. Um, we get the whole nightclubbing genre, kind of a cool song. Nightclubbing, nightclubbing. <laughs> I like yep. this song. Um, yeah. And then, Iggy Pop, baby. Oh, it's okay. Cool. Yeah. And then they and then they are kind of on the subway car, which is cool because they're with other people. Dolores is having this is kind of going back between her and Martin. She's kind of. I think she communicates quickly to him. She says to Liam, "We're going to open their cages. The system has written their story. A lot of more Westworld talk." Um, and then kind of interestingly. Liam says something about dying and then Dolores says, you'd know something about it. And then just as Liam is giving his little, I'm so sorry, I tried to kill you with drug speech. Um, Dolores says what he's going to say just before he says it. Yes. Like she, just like the text would do to the hosts. And I thought that that was just a super cool moment. Yeah, super like cool. It. Yeah. And then uh then Liam kind of tells the fate to Giggles and they you know gets upset, just more kind of I guess I guess a lead up to the fact that again, nobody has a good future in this world. Like <laughs> right? Like her brother yeah. is going to die of uh, like a junkie or something yes. and Marshawn's yeah. going to get uh going to get killed violently within the next five years um nothing good stuff and then this is when caleb has his little story when i was in the military there were rats and he tells about you know if the water was too high they'd swim till they die that's false hope i'd rather die i'd rather live in chaos than a world controlled by you and that's kind of like dolores is like damn right and then she's like martin let let all the profiles go and then he lets them all go everybody in the everybody in the uh the train sees their profiles we get a little talk here first though with martin and bernard um where martin it's kind of a continuation of the first conversation where he's like you know you have to choose sides and then he alludes to his death that we're going to see later and he says you know Everyone has a role to play and some won't survive. Yes. What do you think is the difference before we talk about the files and all that? But 
it's interesting. I get the feeling that that Martin is a different kind of Dolores than Hale is. He this this Dolores is like maybe the part of Dolores. Maybe she kind of she had to play with each one of them, right? To get their levels right. And whatever she hit with Martin worked great. Right? Yeah. He's loyal. He's yeah. tough. Yes. But Hale didn't work as well. So it's interesting that way. Well, it, and once we see, um, uh, uh, not to, uh, the, the Yakuda guy, uh, the guy Sashi. from Shogun War, Mushashi, thank you. Once we see him again, because I'm sure we will, and spend more time with him, it'll also be interesting to see how he may or may not be like Dolores also. Because uh, just in the w- one conversation he had with Maeve, um, you could probably pick out some slight variations. But um, is that on purpose or how much of that is evolution? Mm, yeah. Like like Bernard says, being in someone right. else's body makes change- you yeah. – yeah, it changes you. And how much of that is Dolores aware of and how much of that is she blind to? Mm. Probably, I think she's blind to a lot of it. She's, yeah. But then again, I mean, she's got a lot going on, you know? She does. She, she, does. She, she has a lot on her plate. She's a busy lady. You know what I mean? I'm not all against her. Um, but we do get a great, when all hell breaks loose, Major Tom starts playing, um, yeah. just like we had before in Westworld. Right. Um, the streets are in chaos. A dog runs in the street, just like the wolf in the, remember in the original host revolt when Dolores yeah. killed um, yes. Arnold, yes. the dog is running in the street. We're going, she says, we're sending them off. Bernard says, you're sending them off their loops. But it's interesting because in a way now, if this is to follow, is this the original host revolt with Dolores or is this the host revolt of Westworld? I'm trying to kind of mirror the two stories here. Well, you just set me up for the point that I was just about to make so brilliantly. Um, In any other story, that massacre, that first massacre or them releasing these files last night, that is the climax of the story. So, but in both versions, I believe they're not because yeah. we already know that that first massacre was not the, 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 the climax of the Westworld theme park storyline. There was another bigger event to come. Um, I think the same thing is true here. There's no way that Dolores releases these files and that's the end game. This is I felt like almost immediately when it was happening, it seemed more like a distraction and she, her eyes are on bigger fish when it comes to Rehoboam. Um, And there's something else about Rehoboam that she wants to access or use or control. Releasing these files is more like a personal tick of hers. Like she wants these people to know how, like what, 
what the system has been doing to them. Um, so in any other story, this would be the climax where everyone learns how technology has been affecting their lives and, you know, oh, how terrible it is. And the guy walking out into the water and blah, blah, blah. But I don't believe, like, I believe this is just the first wave. So, um, so I do think like kind of like the Westworld storyline, the theme park storyline, there's something else bigger to come. Yeah. I, I think most definitely you are correct, Ken. And this is just like when Ford said to her, um, I, I had to set you free, but then I realized that you had to go through this p- process of right. learning about your pain and growing and becoming stronger. Yeah. And this is just the first step of her letting everyone know, hey, this is what's being done to you. They react some violently, a lot of them, a lot of, you know, others pulling back away from the world or whatever, and still others wanting to now take it back, right? And yeah. take control. So yeah. she now has let everyone go. She's got to kind of marshal her forces. I think about those 300 security robots. Yeah. What is she going to do? Because she doesn't just. We see from the meeting with the Brazilian president that Rehoboam goes much deeper. He's controlling all the governments of the world, right? Yeah. So she's got to create almost a worldwide uprising. She's got to centralize that with a message. And what's the message? You're going to get freedom. What does freedom look like? Yeah. Right? Is it just chaos now? So. She started the ball rolling, but where does it end? Um, it's it's interesting to find out. There's a great line here where Caleb sees everything going on and he goes, what genre is this? And then Marshawn's like, it's reality, man. <laughs> I like that. That was fun. <laughs> that was a really good line. That was a really good line. And then I had jumped ahead. This is when we get Dolores getting shot. Um, yeah. we see, we talked about that and then we jump back to kind of the last we see of Bernard and that is, he's being kind of rushed out by Martin, but yeah. Martin's trying to protect him. He's not yeah. trying to hurt him. Right. He says, some of us are replaceable, but you are not, you are the one that is not Bernard. So it kind of switches But then Stubbs jumps out of an elevator and they battle. They take back the clicker. They're kind of fighting a little bit. But then Martin's like, hey, Ciroc's people are coming. You guys got to get out of here. I want you to survive. And then Martin blows himself up and Bernard and Stubbs get away. Well, but you missed something. Martin told him, told them both about the um, re-education facilities and that they should follow up that lead oh i missed that yeah okay thanks yeah i'm glad we do this podcast ken i would miss things oh that i remember he did tell them something okay that's cool he's so that's where they're kind of going he's sending them on another little kind of mission there you think right and and so really that's dolores telling bernard about the re-education facilities so then that that brings up a million questions. Why is she telling him? What does she expect him to do? Like, why, why, why is it important that he go investigate the re-education facilities? Like, mm-hmm. there's so many questions. Like, and and so now 
we're going to have to wait to find out, obviously. But it, there, there's obviously like 18 different things going on, and <laughs> we're not aware of most of them. But by the end of the season, we'll be aware of all of I them. I hope so. Hey, you know what? I wonder if – oh, man, because I know we both want this to go to outer space at some point. Maybe Sorak is set is using those rocket things that we saw, and he's sending and he created a moon colony of all the outliers that he couldn't change enough, and yeah. he sent them all to the moon. And Stubbs and Bernard will go like Moonraker style into <laughs> the moon, and right. we'll get season four Bernard on the moon. But I didn't catch that. That's cool because I was wondering. This whole thing happens so weird. It's like you think Martin's taking him away. No, he's trying to help him. But then yeah. Stubbs starts fighting with him. But then he's like, come on, let's stop fighting. You see yeah. the people coming. They come. Yep. They have their little talk. And then Bernard and Stubbs, the last we see of them is just kind of like seeing all the chaos that's happening. Right. So they're kind of off. On, so that's interesting now. They, they've they got a new little mission there. And – it's interesting too, like you said, because Dolores really kind of has been controlling Bernard this entire season, hasn't she? Right. And and in ways that we know, and then I suspect yeah. in ways that we don't know. Yep. Everything he's doing, she knows he's already going to get there, right? She yeah. Know, I, 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 she's sending him along on another mission. The whole thing of grabbing him outside before – I mean – why did he even really need to bring Bernard with him to insight, right? Just to kind yeah. of protect him, I guess, just to right. keep watch on him. Um, so finally we get to pretty much uh, our last two scenes, which is the beach and the airplane hangar. Yeah. Um, and this, I love the shining. Did you recognize that as the shining music when it started playing? You know what I didn't, and I'm I, I know I'm going to incur a lot of negative wrath oh. by what I'm about to say, but I'm not actually a huge Shining fan. <gasps> I'm not. I I know. Why don't you <laughs> like The Shining? <laughs> I love I love I love aspects of the book. I'm 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 not even a huge fan of the book, but I prefer the book to the movie. Um, just aesthetically, I I felt like I saw through everything that the movie was trying to do. And I felt, uh, even the very first time I saw it, I felt like manipulated. I felt obviously manipulated. Like like sometimes you're being manipulated, but you don't know or you don't care. Uh, In this case, I cared right away. Um, And I also felt like it was more of an intellectual experience and not an emotional experience. Um, Jack Nicholson's performance, I thought, um, was distracting. Um, well, I would tell you, you're not the only one. Stephen King would agree with you. Uh, right. And I don't often agree with Stephen King, but yeah. in this case, I do agree with him. Like every point I've ever read about it, why he doesn't like the movie, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I totally agree with you. So I kind of felt like it was um, weirdly over the top. Like I don't mind over the top stories. Um but it was like intellectually weirdly over the top and not emotionally over the top. Like I agree. I, like, That's, uh, I, I felt no emotional connection to Shelley Duvall, 
Jack Nicholson. I barely felt an emotional reaction to the little boy. To Danny. Too. Yeah. But I mean, I felt a little connection to Danny, but only because he was a little boy. He was kind of cute and weird. But, um, and some of the visuals, instead of thinking they were cool, I just saw through them. I'm like, I know what he wants me to feel here. And so, and so it annoyed me. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of the movie. So because I'm not a huge fan of the movie, I did not recognize the music. Well, Ken, all I'll say is that I worship at the altar of Stanley Kubrick and I love The Shining. <laughs> but as we said earlier in the podcast, everyone yes. gets to have their own opinion. That's and right. I think that the way you expressed yourself was very eloquent and I understood it. I hear you. I'm listening. I don't agree. I still love you. I'm not, I'm, I might, you know, I might not like you right now, but I love you and we'll get through this. I promise. Um, the reason why I recognize it is because that particular music played such a big part in the trailer to the shining and I can't remember why, but recently I had maybe did Heath cover it on a film list, but it's that like that. Right. Is so that's how they did the first trailers. And as soon as it started, I was like, yes, I love it. And a lot of people um, say that Nolan um, or I can't remember the composer kind of stole that motif from the shining when they did that when with inception where he had all like the wall like the just the sound that comes yeah. out of nowhere yeah. but i thought this was cool even though it wasn't very horror right like the music yeah. played and then they're on a beach um i guess what most importantly happens on the beach is that you know dolores says they don't really need liam anymore and then there's kind of a like a like a like a fight here where Caleb's like, no, wait, don't kill him. He ends up getting shot. Right. Right. And then she says, well, I made a choice, which was interesting. Another Westworld thing. But as Caleb is trying to help um, Liam on the ground, like covering his wound, he, fl he gets those flashes we were talking about. Yeah. And we see, um, Caleb with like this, like eye things on, like he's being reprogrammed in some way. Right. Yeah. We see, um, a man, an older man in a chair with a hood on, and then they take the hood off. We see Veronica Mars, dad, Keith Mars. We do. <laughs> Which like, was where, weird. Why is Which Keith is so Mars weird. in here? Is this Veronica yeah. Mars season eight or something? What happened? We flashed forward. <laughs> right. uh, we're far in the future. I was, I screamed out. It's Keith I Mars. I thought of you. And then I screamed out. I said like, to my wife, Ken is going to love this. I, um, I did. And for it. everyone listening, go back and listen to Ken and I covered the entire run of Veronica Mars. You can go we subscribe. Did. That was so much fun. Um, but a lot of different. Like this was a weird scene and that's when he says, and then, um, Liam says to Caleb, you don't even know who you are. You're the worst of them. Get away. You did it. Right. And then Caleb says again, who does he think I am? So it's the second scene where Liam is scared of him, blaming for him, blaming, saying he did it. And I think that's where some people are getting the idea that he's. Sirach's brother. Right. Well, I thought the literal implication in the moment was that he killed his friend. 
Yes, um, that's it. Right. That's what I was going to say too, is you were saying yeah. like, you did it. Like you, did you kill the friend? Did it, it was a lot. It was confusing, well, but fun. Well, especially since the earlier in the episode, Liam says, you think we killed your friend? Yeah. And then, and then in that scene, he says, you did it. So almost like to tie the two thoughts together. So in the moment, I thought he was picking back up on an old point and saying, no, you did it. Uh, you killed your friend. I like that. So, but then I think, but now the more I think about it, the more I think, was he talking about something else? Like what else could Caleb have done? He could have like, done everything, right? Right. You he could it. be. Right. He could be like, he could be Kaiser Sose, like, like, <laughs> and not know it. Like he could totally have masterminded this whole thing and then be been like reconditioned or yeah. modified. Right. And then this is where we get the cool cut because it's out of this beach scene that we go to our, the last kind of Ciroc scene, yeah. killing Dempsey which we've talked about, but then when it fades, when, when we, when we blend in out of that scene, it transitions into Dolores's eyes and she's watching that scene from the files. So cool. Which was very cool. And again, it was a, the trick in editing that she had been the one accessing these files, the whole episode. And then we have all of a sudden Dolores is speaking to Sirach He's yeah. hologrammed right in front of her, which was cool because we didn't get him saying to his buddy, contact Dolores. I want to talk to her. We're just all of a sudden in the air, at the hangar. We're yeah. not at the beach anymore. We're at the hangar. Yeah. Um, and they have a little talk and this talk was interesting. You know, they, it's a kind of a lot of Westworld talk. The people who made me thought they had control. They're dead now. You're beginning to think you're immortal. Your God right. can't protect you or your people. Yeah. You know, I'm going to change things, Sirach says. And then Dolores says, like you changed your brother? Yeah, I know, do, do, right? Do. That's when well, it should have became like an old-time mystery, you know? <laughs> do, do, do. Right. Well, my major takeaways from – you're right. Kind of like a Westworldy dialogue scene was um, was um, Ciroc's reaction. Like especially when the conversation's over. Like that's when I thought, um, he, he, what is he hiding from Rehoboam? Because like because he seems so upset that like. Like what? What is the true implication of of him being on the move and hiding? And what is he hiding? Um, he seemed really upset. At, like he almost seemed like he was about to lose control again at the end of that conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, he did because so he and and the one thing we hadn't mentioned, or I should say, I hadn't mentioned in my little recappies, is that he's continually looking at his watch, which right. is the Rehoboam kind of stability circle. Yes. And it's getting progressively crazier and, 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 you know, shifting out of control. Yeah. And then that, when Dolores says to him, she walks through the projection, just similarly as someone else did that in the episode. I think Hale did that to him or something or to someone else. I can't remember. It happened again 
this season where someone walked right through the projection while they were talking. I can't remember. Or maybe that was on Star Trek. I was thinking about, I can't, I don't know. Anyway, a lot of projections and I watch a lot of things with holograms. Um, I think my life is a fucking hologram at this point. Um, but she says it's time everyone woke up and then, she, you know, she ends the transmission. We cut to him and he gets really angry and he sees that it's like totally out of control. So I think we can, we can surmise from this that any little bit of stability that Rehoboam had is now, now completely the program is non-functioning. Yes. Everybody has their data. And I would guess too, that as a part of this would be people turning off their implants or removing them or something of that nature too. Um, Then, then out of nowhere, and this is, this show so funny, Caleb's standing there and some guy comes up and delivers a bag to him. (laughs) He goes, what's this? And the guy says, I just make deliveries. Okay. Nice little scene. I don't know. He just gave him a bag. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) we started with a delivery. We end with one, I guess. I don't know. That's right. That's right. Well, back to, um, Ciroc, um, you would think that if you have Rehoboam and if Rehoboam is doing what you say Rehoboam is doing and what other characters have referenced throughout the season, like remember when she had Martin down on the ground and it was, and she was about to kill him um, or he was about to die from himself. Um, he's like, uh, Sorak already knows where you are. He already knows what you're doing. He's already after you. Um, and then, and, and then the real Martin dies. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That isn't exactly what he said, but lots of characters have talked about the power of Rehoboam. But I think is Rehoboam really that powerful or is this like a Wizard of Oz situation? That's a great point. And I, I, I think that goes into me asking earlier, does it have a centralized avatar personality goal or was your are right was it just basically a conglomeration of data that he was the man behind the curtain right like he was just he was making the decisions not the computer yeah 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 yeah. like is he inflating the um the idea of Rehoboam just to like kowtow people. But the reality is that he's the mover and shaker and Rehoboam's just giving him data. I think it is. And I think it also is in a way to fool himself. So it, you know, he could keep along this idea that his brother was the outlier. His brother was the bad one, right? It's not me, but then he hides himself from it and he makes decisions and messing with world governments and with Dolores and Westworld and Maeve and whatever, right? That don't seem to have a connection to um, just letting a computer run its simulation. Well, he also didn't know that Martin had been replaced, and 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 not that a lot of time had passed. But oh, presumably- that's another good. You're right. There's a lot of facts, just simple facts that it does yeah. not know. Like you would think, because it, it seems like a week or two passed since Martin was replaced. So like some amount of time has passed. You would think if Rehoboam were as powerful as Sorok says it is, that Rehoboam would have de- detected slight deviations in quote unquote Martin's behavior. Yeah, that's interesting. 
And same thing with Hale, right? Like I thought he right. did know Hale, but now I'm starting to think he didn't. And you're right. right. He, there was a lot that that was that was out of his purview. Um, in data, just as in perhaps it's the human aspect, the emotional impact that this is having on her players, Caleb, Hale, that, uh, excuse me, that Dolores has kind of a blind spot to. They each need to kind of work together maybe, which is probably not going to happen. Um, but I like their little face off. I thought their little face off was cool, you know, and they did the hologram really cool. Um, but the delivery thing I didn't get, it was really weird, but now I think about it. I like it. It was just really strange. I liked it too. I thought it was a really quirky note and <laughs> kind of a quirky episode on. Um, it's like Aaron Paul. Caleb has a question about everything. Who am I? Where am I? What is this package? <laughs> right? And he's like, just take the fucking package, guy. I'm just a delivery person. One more note about the Ciroc and Dolores scene. I thought it was good acting and good writing that even at the end of their first presumably their first face off of many i still don't know like who i think like who i'm rooting for yeah and that's that's probably good writing that i'm still like on the fence like am i team dolores am i team Ciroc? am i really team like bernard and don't know it yet like there's just a lot going on and there's a lot of moving pieces on the chessboard and so i i think that's good that's really keeping me um it, like that's keeping me on board with this story. Me too. Uh, I well, and and you, it, it was making me think as you were speaking. Who do we who do we align with? I know I always aligned with Maeve, and she's not in this episode. She, last time we saw her, she was laying on the floor at the Yakuza hideout, yeah. and she didn't continue. I thought maybe. At certain points during this episode, I thought maybe Maeve will pop up somewhere, kind of like Stubbs when he, he popped out, but no, it didn't happen. So what? How, how successful was all that work that he did to get Maeve and run her through that simulation, and now he tasked her with finding Dolores? And guess what? Maeve did not do a very good job. <laughs> Dolores well, gave everybody their files too late. Well, except except that maybe Sorok is multitasking to an extent that we don't know, and maybe True. we're going to find out next week that in the middle of all this stuff with Dolores, he was also doing all this stuff with Maeve. Uh, Maeve was sent to Berlin. Could maybe, be. Maybe she. <laughs> That's meets good. Him. She meets him. Well, before we go, there's one little scene here. After we get the delivery, Dolores and Caleb are getting into this jet, which is super cool. Yeah. And um, Caleb has a little second thoughts. You know, maybe people, maybe not everybody needs to know everything about themselves, you know? Um, and then they have a little exchange that ends with him saying, maybe I'm not like other people. And then Dolores looks at him and says, neither am I. <laughs> so now they want us to think he's a host again. <laughs> well, I don't know if I think he's a host, but I do think that he's something. Yeah. He's something. He's not just some ex-military schmo guy who was dealing with PTSD and, you know, dealing with the after effects of like a dead friend. And, you know, obviously that's not his story because then there's the other thing about, his his quote unquote mom yeah. 
Like now that puts her dialogue about like, you're not my son. Like was she experiencing dementia or was she experiencing clarity? True. And that makes you think, is it that he actually physically changed? He's different. Or is it just that she senses that his whole personality is different, that he's changed in some way? Or that's not his life at all. And he's been shoehorned in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that he has only existed for a short period of time, right? Yeah. Kind of injected into this life to, to see right. what would happen. Um, either way, I think with all of the um, similarities and mirroring that they're doing, I do think it's justified to say that Caleb will eventually, whatever we find out about him, will closely align with Dolores's own story even further that yeah. he has in some way been changed, augmented yeah. uh, by technology and perhaps even like her, Wyatt, Dolores, he's a melding of maybe two different people, right? We're of two minds, Bernard, right? Yeah. So that that's definitely somewhere where we're going. And we've only got three episodes left, man. I had heard word that uh, Nolan had said that um, he had one more season left to tell the story and no confirmation on that um, in the last six months or so. But I'd be interested to know as, as we get closer to the end of this season, whether there's a formal announcement of like one more season, two more seasons, because then that will tell us like where we are in the story. Good point. Yeah. You, you have to start looking towards – and I mean, as we've seen, that end game, I could see with it being in similarly like it was season one and two, right? The the kind of revolt comes, then the secondary comes, the big host revolt like we had for the, at the end of season one. Now right. we have this kind of middle of the season, the people revolt. Are they? How are they going to get together? How are they going to unify? And it's just, you know, this show has a tall task ahead of itself because as, as like Dolores says, when at first Liam thinks, oh, you just sent everybody in the subway there, their files. No, everyone here. Oh, everyone in the city. No dummy. Everyone in the whole world. (laughs) This is a big task for this show to communicate to us how these events could reshape the entire planet. And humanity in general. So the heist stuff, I wonder, has that kind of come to a close here? Because we keep on getting into these little heist scenarios with Dolores. Is the secondary plan a little bit broader? Um, And how soon are we going to see that enacted? I can't wait. Like I said, this ends with this song, Hyper Mediocrity, which I thought was super cool. The music was great. This yeah. episode looked great. Yeah. And I just want to take just a moment to say how awesome Evan Rachel Wood looks. The costume design, the makeup, the hair. They are just killing it with her. She's just walking through every scene like she owns it. And to think that this was little Dolores sitting there. Oh, daddy, I'm going to go out to the pasture. I want to go paint my pictures. And now she's marching through the city. It's just this show. I mean, whatever you say about this episode, 
the growth we've seen in these three seasons has really been amazing. Agreed. I couldn't have said it any better, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to say, yes, I agree with you. All right, baby. Well, any last words? No, just looking forward to, like you said, you said that there's only three more episodes. So we're, we're, we're in the end game of this, of season three, um, regardless of how many other seasons there are in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, I feel like my prediction. Okay. I'll, so I'll give a prediction, a blind prediction. I feel like we're going to cover the same time period next week, but just from Maeve and the man in black's point of view. Interesting. Okay. All right. I have, I I have no idea. I would be very interested in that because I love those two characters. I'm excited by this season. I think it's been really fun. I mean, man, we just did about two hours on this episode. Right. So I was, I got both of my shows in this week, even though I won't be on the show Wednesday, I feel like, man, it felt like it was only like 15 minutes. I had a great time today. So I look forward to listening to Justin Jenny and Brett on Wednesday and the cleanup text, Gina, Tim and Andy on Friday. They've been doing an awesome job and go over and check out Justin's channel. You know, he's been doing post shows with hacks and he was just on the pre-show with Robert in deep geek and hacks. So he's got a lot of great stuff going on. Check out the website. We're starting bachelor. Listen to your heart tomorrow. That's a fun one. A lot, not, not as intellectual as Westworld, Ken, the bachelor, right. but I don't know no. if, I don't know if you would realize that, but bachelor's not very intellectual. <laughs> Except that, you know, you should always listen to your heart. That, so that's a kernel of wisdom. And if that's what the, that's what the bachelor's teaching you, well, then it's, it's a okay with me. I think that's what Westworld teaches us too. I think that's what everything teaches us. And we want to tell you people out there, speaking of our hearts, we love you. We know we're still going through this crisis, so I wanted to end again by giving you all our love. Hope everyone is safe, healthy, practicing social distancing. We'll get through it together. But for now, we're going to be apart because the show is over. Goodbye, Ken. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Did you leave yet? Okay, you can stop the recording now. I was going to say, good night, John boy. (laughs) Dude, my mom used to say that like every night. Good night, John. And then we'd yell out from our rooms. Good night, Mary Ellen. Good night. I love that, dude. Oh, man. That's an era. All right, buddy. I better go check on my family. This was a great show.